Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, hope you've had a good week this week. Uh, Today we're going to finish up our discussion about how exactly we're connected to Adam. And we've looked at the federal headship view on Wednesday and the seminal headship view yesterday on Thursday. Today I want to look at a third option that is far, far less popular. In fact, if you have any uh, systematic theology textbooks, you might not even find this option in there. Uh, The first two options we've covered are by far the most common approaches, and some people even sort of smush them together and say, you know what, why can't it be both? Why can't it be both options in some way, shape, or form? Because we find bits and pieces of them suggested in Scripture. But today I want to look at a third option that actually would say, "Eh, it's not quite either of those, actually, because as we've looked at, over the last couple of days, there are some challenges scripturally when we really start to look closely at the passages that seem to support these ideas. Maybe they don't quite support them as strongly as it would first seem. So I'm going to suggest a third option to you today, and it is that because of Adam, our connection to him is that because of him and his choices, we don't inherit his guilt. And we don't have some sort of vine sourdough bread connection to him either, that sin is not a physical thing that gets passed down to us, but that because of Adam, we're all mortal. And I can start to make this case because if we go back to Genesis 3, verse 22, right after Adam and Eve's sin, what is God's reaction? He says this, Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so Adam sinned, he inherited corruption of his humanity in that moment, and God did not want him to then live forever in that state. And so he kicked him out of the garden. He sealed him off from that option, meaning that he was destined to die. He was in that moment mortal. And because of his mortality, because of his fallen state of now living his life outside the Garden of Eden, outside of the direct presence of God, which brings life, we all, because we are born outside of the Garden, because of our mortality, we will all inevitably sin. That this idea that uh, in God's presence, in under that circumstance, Adam and Eve didn't have to sin. But once they made that choice to rebel and then were removed from the direct presence of God and the garden, it sort of became an inevitability that that there's really only one ingredient that people need in order to sin, and that is time. If you give us enough time, we will always rebel against God. And I would invite you if nothing else, to just look at your own life or the lives of your children in order to look for uh, verification of that idea. 
Job 15, 14 and 15 says, what is man that he can be pure or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure in his sight. And so this idea that no one is pure before God, that no one is inevitably righteous, that um, we are all fallible. Uh, And if you just give us enough time, based on the way things are now, we'll fail, we'll rebel, we will sin. And when we sin, that is when we become guilty. So our guilt is rightly earned and rightly deserved because we earned it when we chose to sin. So we're not being punished for something that Adam did. We have consequences uh, because of what Adam did. We are born into a world where the deck is basically stacked against us that just give us time and we will sin. However, when we do, it's still our fault. We're still guilty and we still rightly and justly are condemned and guilty because that was our choice. We did that. And if that guilt is left unresolved, then not only will we die once, as in physically, because we were born mortal, but left unresolved, that guilt will actually lead to death a second time. This is what's referred to in Revelation 20, 12 and 14 through 15. This second death, the lake of fire. So Adam and Eve inherited death because of their sin, and so do we, without exception. Now, common question that comes up often in these kinds of discussions is, so what about babies, infants, toddlers? What about mentally handicapped people who just aren't at a place, either because of of time or disability, where they can they can really grasp the gospel, this this concept. Well, if we go back to Romans 5 and we look at how it was through one trespass that led, led to condemnation for all men, but one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So how is it that everyone is condemned? Well, that's death. All of us are mortal. We will all die, but only the many are made sinners. How is it that only the many are actually guilty. Well, think about it. Who besides Jesus could die but never sin? I think a, the unborn are a great candidate for for that. Uh, it, it, to use just one very prominent example in our world today, that uh, look at all the the millions of abortions that take place every year in this world. They certainly die but they've never even had an opportunity to sin. And so they would very squarely, I think, fit into this category of that they they have inherited condemnation, uh, which is death, but they're not part of the many who were made sinners. Now, in the same way, Jesus is the mirror image of this, so that one act of righteousness in verses 18 and 19 of Romans 5, that it leads to justification and life for all men, And by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we have a direct parallel here. So justification means that uh, Jesus' death and burial and resurrection leads to justification for all, meaning life is possible for all. Just like death was 
now on the table for every human being. We're all mortal. Immortality, new life, being born again is on the table for everybody, but only the many will actually achieve it. Only the many will be made righteous and see that life. So Adam and and the second Adam, if you will, Jesus, are directly contrasted and, and compared in this passage. And it's sort of this fork in the road. Adam's goes off to the left and it leads to death and many will achieve it while Jesus goes off to the right over here and, and life is now possible for all and many will achieve it. Now, are there some problems with this view? Well, f- basically the big one is this isn't this isn't super traditional. This isn't something you're going to find in a lot of theology textbooks, but it is one that I, I would argue is um, a result of a much closer, careful reading of the text in in Romans chapter 5 in particular. And there are proponents of it out there uh, from a scholarly standpoint. So you can find more if you look hard enough. But uh, I would just throw that out there that um, this might be worth more study if this interests you. And uh, if it doesn't, well, then we're done with this topic. So in either way, uh, it's all good. We are going to move on next week to another big question. So can't wait to join you next week and to continue with more fruit snacks. Have a great weekend, everyone. 